0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United
2: Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm anti all people from all countries entering our marriage sexually. I was thinking about what would be terrible about a threesome. Does it feel the same if I was suggesting a lady versus a gentleman? I I think
3: it applies across the board. And I think what would be really terrible is I would inevitably finish first.
2: It would be so exciting to have another person around. No,
3: just more that's an issue I have.
2: No, it isn't. I think it is a bit. I don't think it is. So
3: that interregnum, if you were the one who finished first... What are you doing while the others reach completion? Mm. <laughs> you can't look at your phone.
2: No, you can't look at your phone and then probably be- it'd be that thing where like because you were finished, you just get like the situation like this, dawns yeah. on you the, in the, a certain the second kind of way. it's over. It is, it's is over. It's yeah. over, but it can't just be over because you're there. Yes. So I and think you would
3: encourage
2: Mm-hmm. I think you would like make performative sounds, oh, gosh. not like ooh yeah, ooh yeah, but like um, <laughs> <laughs> the classic. Mm, mm-mm. <laughs> so I think I think you'd be thinking, do no harm. Like you know the doctor's credo is like first do no harm. I think you'd be like be like first do no harm. Like so you're, you're I, trying to be
3: neutral. You're trying yeah, to be a neutral. I think presence. that
2: actually, truly, what you would do is mm-hmm. you'd be like, let me just be a neutral. <laughs> That's great.
3: Shall we tell them who our guest is this week?
2: Why don't you tell them? Because I think you have more of a relationship to him than I do for reasons TBD.
3: Our guest is Larry Rickard. He is one of the stars and creators of the sitcom Ghosts, which returns for its final series on BBC One this week. But perhaps more than that, he is known to generations as one of the original six idiots from Horrible Histories. Our son is obsessed with it. And we live in a fragmented age where kids watch what they watch and we watch what we watch. But Ghosts feels like something you can sit down with your kid and watch. And that is what uh, I do with our son you often absent yourself from these tv watching activities because i view the tv as a lovely shared experience you view it as a way of distracting him so you can have a break
2: i'm like trying to let him have a him thing but you want us things
3: some parents have activities they like doing with the child like playing football or building a model train set the thing i like to do with him is watch tv
2: yeah but you do you do do other things also ghosts is a very good family show All right, so I want to do like two quick-quicks because the ongoing project is that it has felt imperative that we finish Mr. In-Between.
3: It's fantastic. Yeah. But we've gone out of sync.
2: This is what happened. So we had like a night in and we, as this real treat to ourselves, we are like, we're just going to flop on the sofa and watch Mr. In-Between. Jeff has recently run out of his medication. So he's he's I became aware that he was falling asleep as we are like watching the last few episodes of Mr. In Between. And it felt sort of to me like an addiction. Like I I was like I I know we should do this together, but I can't stop myself.
3: The betrayal.
2: So I got to the end of it and was like whoa, wait, where are they going to Take it from here. And then Disney Plus prompted me to another show. And I was like, holy shit, you just watched the end of Mr. In Between without realizing it. So I was so confused and sad, but, like, impressed. And I just feel that it was just an incredible ending. And I think he's, like, the most amazing and talented person who's ever lived. And I say that to Jesse Armstrong. You don't have anything on Scott Ryan. He's my new big boy. <laughs> Because Scott Ryan is acting. Jesse Armstrong can't even fucking perform on camera, okay? (laughs) Scott Ryan is my number one boy. (laughs) I don't feel great that these keep being men, Mm. but I'm just speaking the truth of my heart.
3: But the reason we took that conversational detour is that you needed to find something else to watch pronto because I wasn't caught up on Mystery Between.
2: I watched a show. I watched (laughs) a show called Daisy Jones and the Six. It is on. Amazon Prime. It's sort of loosely based on Fleetwood Mac. So, like, think 1970s. Okay. I go, oh. Think California. I go, oh. Let's give it a go. What a piece of fucking shit. <laughs> so, first of all, everyone in it looks like a model. Riley Keogh. I don't know if it's Riley Keogh or Keogh or what her name is, but Elvis's granddaughter. Lisa Marie's daughter. She's a Nepo grandbaby. Nepo grandbaby. Um, so it's presented like a documentary. So what I mean is that in the same way that a Christopher Guest film gives you like a talking heads moment. Oh, so it's a rockumentary like Spinal Tap. Exactly, but it is not funny. Uh So it's these actors in the roles of these imagined rock stars. From the 70s. From the 70s, like talking to you now. And when it first happened, it was so bad. I was like, this isn't happening. It was so bad that I thought it has to be real. So then I was like, is Daisy Jones and the Six a real band? <laughs> no. The thing is, is, is Riley Keog's acting is really bad in it as well.
3: You're really hedging your bets I on that pronunciation, really, aren't you? T- I'm just going to call <laughs> her Riley. Six different ways. I'm going to
2: just call her Riley. She. I've seen her be good in other films. So I think it's the fault of the script and the director.
3: I'll tell you what, I don't think I have ever seen done well in film. The creative process.
2: This is the thing. This lady, Riley, is supposed to be Stevie Nicks, basically like this genius sort of songwriter. So there's just moments where, wait, something's occurring to her and she she needs to just grab that notebook and just scribble down some lyrics and and sit in a sexy outfit. I
3: I feel like I've got a a sliver of licence to talk about my favourite subject here. Because one of the greatest captured moments of creativity is that bit in Get Back where you see Paul McCartney find Get Back. And it feels much more akin to digging something covered in shit out of the ground and scraping it off. Yes, And George Harrison looked bored initially during it. And that they managed to capture that on film is an incredible thing. But that doesn't look like any other depiction of creativity we've ever seen.
2: Yeah. To non-Beatles people... I recommend to you the way that I eventually watched Get Back was watching it like a day at a time.
3: Because it's the Beatles films over a, about a month and it's, it's hours and hours longer.
2: Okay, so one more thing I want to say about Daisy Jones and the Six. It makes me very uncomfortable because the they, they're putting all this 70s music in, which is like, you know, amazing. But then it'll be like the song...
3: That's been written specially for the show. Uh, Oh, that's great. And then you're like, this is
2: terrible.
3: We should get people to email in with the worst fictionalized versions of rock and roll songs.
2: By the way, is this the moment to say that my senior movement and my youth movement did not go very well? (laughs) Oh, well.
3: Well, you try these things. I know.
2: You have to be brave, Jeff.
3: Now, in contrast, I have watched something that is genuinely excellent. It's a three-part HBO documentary. It's produced by Danny McBride, who we know from The Righteous Gemstones, but also famously he created Eastbound and Down, and by the Safdie brothers, who made that film Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. Yes, with Adam Sandler. It's called Telemarketers, and it's a documentary maker called Sam Lipman Stern, who, when he was in high school, started working for this telemarketing firm.
2: In America we say telemarketers, not telemarketers.
3: That might just be me getting it wrong.
2: But I think maybe in this show we say telemarketers. (laughs) So it's called telemarketers.
3: Yes. Uh, So so, so this kid gets a job at a call centre. And Mm -hmm. what the call centre do is they cold call on behalf of charities, often police charities, to raise money, but they keep 90% of the money. And this call centre is one of the most insane workplaces you've ever seen. They would employ people who were unemployable anywhere else because they are addicts or because they've been in prison. So the workplace is just chaos, people taking drugs. In fact, one of them said if you want to get money out of people, employ a crackhead because they're really good at talking people into giving them money. What? Yeah. And this young man started taking a camcorder into work and filming the, the antics in the office, initially just because it was a, a wild place to work. But then over time, he and one of his colleagues realised that this business model is rotten and they realise they've got documentary footage to expose this. Oh my God. And it's fantastic. And I don't think I just liked it because I have had experience in telemarketing. When? I worked in a double glazing call centre briefly.
2: Oh, I would be very susceptible to that product being (laughs) sold to me.
3: So I had to sit with a phone book and just go through the alphabet. Ringing people, asking if somebody could come round and talk to them about double glazing. And I can't remember much about it other than that we had a script and there were signs up everywhere saying things like smile while you dial and don't moan when you phone.
2: (laughs) Would you just say, hello, um, we'd like to come and talk to you about this. Would there be a good time? And they would say no.
3: Hi, is, is that Ms. Barron?
2: Yes. Who's calling, please?
3: Hi, my name's Jeff. I'm calling from whatever it was called. I can't even remember now.
2: Oh, no, thank you. We're not interested in that. Have a nice rest oh, of your day. Oh, just before you...
3: No, well, you're very good at closing it yeah, down. Yeah, am, but, 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 but then you the, say... But, but the lonely aren't.
2: Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Thinking of you... What you would have done all day is spend the day on the phone. Like, it's just like, that's so shocking.
3: Oh, yeah. I can't even call a restaurant to make a reservation. (gasps) If there's anything that needs to be done on the phone, I ask you to do it.
2: It's so, you know, sad how we change as we get older, I think.
3: I used to love being on the phone. I sometimes used to look up teachers in the phone book (laughs) and then just call them during the school holidays to see how they were getting
2: on. I wonder how they felt about that. It must have been a mix.
3: So weird, though, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's weird, but I don't want you to feel sad thinking about your school days.
3: I think you think my life is much more of a tragedy than I think it is.
2: I think your life is much more of a tragedy than you think it is.
3: <laughs> but en- anyway, this call centre, the characters who work there, they've clearly lived difficult lives. And usually if you see those people talking on camera, they're talking about the thing that they did. Mm-hmm. Whereas they're telling you about their experiences supporting characters in this huge white-collar crime scandal. There's one guy, and he's undoubtedly the star of the show. He's a guy called Pat J. Pespas. He is one of the most compelling people I have ever seen on TV. And I know that everyone's unique. We're all unique, right? But do you not think really most of us are just variations on a theme? Of course. And I'm not saying that people haven't got idiosyncrasies, but I just think that most of us are some version of something you've seen before
2: Like you fit the mould of this kind of person yeah. And I think I fit the mould of this kind of person Like you're
3: a strong flavour But really it's just Carol Burnett for the new millennium Yeah,
2: exactly but
3: like, <laughs> dirty Carol You're Burnett. also
2: a strong flavour But you, you, your point is with this Like Alfred J. Proofrock or whatever his name is Pat J. Pespas. That's That's what I said <laughs> He's singular
3: Honestly, it, it, he's like nobody else I've ever seen And so watchable Oh
2: my god, I'm so excited
3: We'd love to hear from you. Let us know where you put the stress on the word telemarketers.
2: Is it telly or tella?
3: Also, if you've got any good documentary recommendations, I really love a doc, but I'm often not in the mood for anything too harrowing. I'll tell you a great one. I mean, it must be 15 years old at this point. That King of Kong.
2: Oh, I never saw that. I thought we watched it together. I know, it's, but I don't remember it at all, which says something.
3: It's, it's about competitive Donkey Kong players.
2: I just, I'm... Com- Completely uninterested in the world. I think you pretended to be into it at the time then. It's very hard to tell with me what can be going on. Yes. Like there's like a a bunch of stuff I watched early enough in our relationship that I did a little performance for you.
3: This is so upsetting to me.
2: I don't do that anymore.
3: But th- maybe that'd be a good thing to get people to email in with. Is there anything that you pretend to like for your partner's benefit? We can offer you a confessional.
2: Yes. Or does the idea of that feel like as much of a violation in your relationship as like faking an orgasm or something? Like like a real lie that you can't do to your partner?
3: Oh, another thing we said we were going to ask you about is um, the best and worst fictional songs in tv shows or films about bands um what about best and worst depictions of the creative process
2: we'll see what we get on that
3: anything where people stumble across the new sound
2: yeah stumbling across the new sound
3: yeah and of course your recommendations please the email address is
2: fuck off at firecratch and the week before last week i wanted to be direct with people it was a light inbox and patreon week and I am not in a mental position to be able to handle a light inbox. And so this week, it was much heavy. It was a heavy flow. If only you could know the joy that brings me. I know you're thinking, Sarah, pitch the material. Why? Yeah,
3: yeah. A, a lot of these podcasts out here, when they're talking about but the Patreon, it's bullshit. They're, 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 it's they're selling, not they're selling real. the sizzle. It's they're not, not trying to emotionally blackmail real. people. I'm into- <laughs>
2: not trying to emotionally blackmail people. I think that, like, I like you. You like me. What can I do? What can I do to make you feel a little happy? It has to take me less than five minutes.
3: So is what you're asking for the people who aren't yet Patreon supporters, (gasps) you're asking what would get them over the line?
2: I'm saying that if what I'm sat here doing is going, I get this like little dopamine hit if I check the inbox and it says new Patreon supporter, three pounds. Oh, and it just it like it just it fills me with the drug. So what can I do to fill you with the drug?
3: Uh, when I couldn't sleep last night, I was rewatching some Broad City, and it was that first episode where they try to get money by going around to a pervert's house and doing his oh, cleaning, cleaning. Yeah. in their underwear. You wouldn't go that far, would
2: you? I'd prefer to do voiceover work or something. <laughs> I'm very good. I didn't tell you this. I did a voiceover the other day. Jeff, they applauded. They applauded because they couldn't believe how good I was at it. That's completely true. So, are you a Patreon supporter? And, like, you're no, sorry, you don't have to be a Patreon supporter. Are you a listener? Do you need a fucking solid voice performer? Most people don't, but maybe somebody does. I'm not saying I'm the greatest actor in the world, although I'm starting to suspect I might be better than I thought. (laughs) I, said to Jeff Reason, I was like, I do actually wonder if I'm kind of good because I have so many reserves of emotion. But, um, I'm, but that's completely serious. I think I have a lot of shit I could tap into. But do you need me? Would you like me to voice something for you? I will shill.
3: Okay. Patreon.com stroke. They like to watch.
2: Give me my hit.
3: And coming up later, talking about the new series of ghosts, we have Larry Rickard. Do you know one of the things I'm really enjoying about this podcast mm-hmm. is when we do the remote interviews... Seeing inside other people's houses.
2: No, I'm bored of it now. I don't even care. Because
3: Larry had a lot of props, things from his career. He also had a collection of Star Wars figures. Anyway, we peer inside the home office of Larry Rickard later. All right, together this week, we watched the entire series of Boiling Point.
2: I didn't understand it was a four-parter until we got to the end of episode four. Devastated,
3: and I don't know about you, but if I ever see the name Stephen Graham and he's going to be in something, I I just think to myself. I wonder which happy-go-lucky character he's going to be playing there.
2: This show is very watchable, more on which in a second. But I have had to turn stuff off because Stephen Graham is in it. Because it's too traumatising to me to watch him on camera sometimes.
3: And that's not to say he's not one of our finest actors. No, he is. So Boiling Point, starring Stephen Graham, was a film that came out during the pandemic.
2: Right, which I had like half of an awareness of.
3: Me too. And, and uh, I didn't watch it because I think I was finding the pandemic stressful enough without having... Having what I understood to be a very anxiety-producing film set in the high octane world of restaurant kitchens, and it was it's all done in one shot as well. I believe that film.
2: These people in their one shots,
3: and then I saw this week uh, this this TV mm-hmm. version of it was mm-hmm. dropping on the BBC.
2: Now, what's interesting to me is like what came first, season one of the Bear, or the people behind this film the idea that they should turn it into a TV show. Because I don't think that just because there's one TV show about restaurants, there shouldn't be another. I hate when people start thinking that they have original ideas. It really pisses me off.
3: Yeah, I don't mind people having similar ideas. What I do mind is when people make the assumption... Oh, that must have been lifted from that then. When it's just this commonplace idea. I know, I've heard- Most of, ideas are so commonplace. I hear
2: stand-ups do it with some regularity. Where like they'll write a bit about something that's that's relatively low-hanging fruit. No judgment, samesies. But then they'll be like, so-and-so, I did see them doing a bit about. And you're like, wait a second, someone else has a bit about not fucking their partner after being together for a long time. You know, just these things that are like good fodder for a stand-up bit. But how original do you think you are? yeah.
3: If you invent something like Stranger Things, maybe, most other stuff, everyone's fishing in the same waters. Exactly. Do you think it's possible to talk about the show without also talking about the bear? It
2: doesn't feel like it because it just goes into your head in the same box and you start thinking about the ways in which it's better and the ways in which it's worse. Am I right in thinking that you, you just liked it more than the bear, just based on the fact that you didn't particularly rate the bear? And I could tell watching this that you really rated it.
3: Yes, but I think that's down to some of my baggage about The Bear. I think that's right. I I think The Bear is a better show than I give it credit for. Yes, I
2: think that's right.
3: And I just focus on some of the bits that I find to be cheesy because it's driving me so insane Mm -hmm. that people are talking about The Bear as if it's as good as Succession. Mm -hmm. And the level of attractiveness of people in The Bear is irritating to me as well. Like that guy's face. I think if that guy's face didn't look like it does. Maybe I wouldn't have many of the problems with the bear that I've <laughs> That's had. so
2: interesting because he is so gorgeous, but it is in kind of a weird way.
3: Yeah, but I just thought I'd stop it with the big doe eyes.
2: Yeah, you're right. I guess you're right. <laughs> no,
3: I'm probably not. Um, I also watched it and I enjoyed it so much, but just thought, why does anybody do this for a living? It's a horrible environment.
2: I feel like I have gotten to a stage where I am so envious of a regular schedule like you clock in and clock out
3: yeah but they're clocking in and clocking out first thing in the morning leaving late at night and in those hours in between there's a lot of people yelling at them and incredible pressure which is presumably shaving years off their life
2: for the love of food i guess right but don't you think that's crazy why is it crazier than like any other because of the being yelled at yes but the being yelled at can come with a regular paycheck anyway it just reminded me of my my true calling and the thing that i missed the boat on which was which is of of course, being a maitre d'.
3: How does your rage and moodiness square with your ability to work in the service industry?
2: Interesting. <laughs> because the way it would manifest as a waiter is I was I was very in control. So when I would get a difficult customer, my go-to phrase was, I would preemptively say, you seem like you need a manager. Let me go get one so they can take over from here. Oh,
3: so you rob them of the ability I, to and, ask for the manager. And I
2: feel that that shows the reason I'd be a brilliant or d'.
3: So I think that kind of answers the question of what you would do at Rage towards customers. Yeah. As both your husband and your podcasting partner – I think if something externally has affected your mood, it's not the easiest for you to snap out of it. It can sometimes feel like being around you is like when the sky is very stormy, but it hasn't quite broken yet.
2: So you're saying as a moody little lady, how would I do if my job was like I have to get up and inspire?
3: I'm saying how would you get on if you had to be pleasant to a table of people you were giving menus to and then seating them? Because we've had occasions... Before now, where I've had a friend round, and because you're in a bad mood about something else, you cannot be civil.
2: This is still just all proving my point. So, sure, a few times a year, I would do a shitty job, but I just think generally, I've got I've got the schmooze. In your experience,
3: if you're front of house staff and you go into the kitchen, is it as crazed and anxious and shouty as as these shows?
2: I think, as you know, I enjoyed the company of many. A New York City cook between the years yes, 2000 yeah, yeah. and one in 2011. And I, I so I dated those guys. But I, I think, yes, it can get that crazed.
3: I'll tell you what I couldn't cope with. Mm-hmm. The relentless banter in a kitchen. If, if boiling point is to believe, people are bantering the whole time. I
2: don't think that's real.
3: I couldn't be around that for more than eight minutes.
2: What neither one of us are, really, is a team player.
3: Here's a question for you. We see one of the kitchen employees, because of abject poverty, sneaking off to eat some of the food from the kitchen without permission. Now, in your case, it wouldn't be abject poverty, but it's your aforementioned blood sugar issues. Was was that something that you would do?
2: So everyone would know that if I wasn't in my station, I'd be at this part of the kitchen shoving food in my mouth. And everyone knew that that happened about every half hour. And I remember thinking, I can remember standing there and thinking, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. But I don't understand how I will ever be able to do a job if I'm not allowed to eat every half hour and carry food around with me.
3: One of the waiters, I think to alleviate his own boredom, does that thing where he doesn't write the orders down. That is as anxiety producing as any of the high level kitchen stuff that we yeah, see in the show. Yeah, I
2: hate that in a restaurant. I genuinely think what goes on for a waiter is they feel cool doing it. and it, but, but you're just making the customers feel you're anxious. You're making the customer feel anxious. And the last time a waiter did that to us, they fu- they fucked up the order.
3: We, we don't think any less of you because you're unable to do feats of memory.
2: no. And we don't think more of you because you're trying to perform that you can. No. Restaurant managers tell your servers that they have to write shit down. Well,
3: I really enjoyed this despite anxiety. The lead actor vinette Robinson is fantastic. We've been bandying Stephen Graham's name around, and and the film focused on him, but his character is on the sidelines.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm just laughing because there's like a scene that he has, and it's he he's not that central to the story in some ways, but like he comes on screen and like says something to do with addiction, and you were like immediately sobbing because that that is what he does. That's just what he does. It is singular to him whenever he comes on screen.
3: And his his wife's in it, Hannah Walters, which I feel slightly icky about mentioning that it's his wife, but I. there's I something, think it's okay, but there's something really interesting about seeing a real life couple oh, on screen, not playing a couple and
2: not doing a podcast. <laughs> We're the only ones out there. I, yeah, she is
3: phenomenal. Just one of the most likable characters without being at all cloying with it. Mm-hmm.
2: There's a lot of phenomenal acting in it. I think.
3: Yeah, and you don't have to pick a team. It, it's not like a Beatles, Rolling Stones, Blur, Oasis thing. You ca- you can like both Boiling Point and The Bear.
2: Yes, there are just different ways in which they're both a better show than the other one. So Boiling Point is significantly less cheesy, but there was a slight repetitiveness to it. And I don't think The Bear has that because it is also just a bigger...
3: More expansive.
2: More expansive story. So in that way, and I, it, it's just, it's an easier, it's a much easier watch. Like, it's just fun to watch The Bear. Boiling Point is wonderful, but also painful.
3: Which restaurant would you rather eat at?
2: Oh, and it's one in Dalston and one is in Chicago. Yes. Chicago, I guess.
3: A return flight to Chicago really adds to the bill, though.
2: I didn't think we were thinking about it in that <laughs> way.
3: Did you watch Boiling Point? Let us know what you think.
2: I would love other people's compare and contrast to Boiling Point and The Bear.
3: Also, are there any shows that just make you too anxious to watch them? Yeah, you know, some people won't watch awkward comedy like *Covered Enthusiasm* or *Peep Show* because mm-hmm. it makes them feel too uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think the anxiety of being in this kitchen nudges up against what I can handle.
2: So this, the anxiety of this one was much worse for you than the bear. I th- I th- it sort th- of makes sense because I think I think the bear feels more like you're watching a TV show, mm. for which I say is a compliment and a criticism.
3: But let us know if you've got any things like that.
2: Fuck off at firecratchandnormcorp.com.
3: And coming up next, we talk to Larry Rickard about the new series of Ghosts, which is back on BBC One this Friday.
2: Like to
3: Until ghosts, I'm guessing it's like been a very weird type of success for you, where you you were incredibly famous to kids between certain ages and their parents, and
1: then virtually unknown to everybody else. Yeah, it was always really interesting when you sort of met families. The children would go, "Oh my god!" and like one of the parents, and then the other one. Or the grandparent or whoever it might be there with was just like, who is this guy? And why are they so excited? Like, it, it was either 100 or 0% yes. recognition. So, yeah, it was like we kind of recruited people into a cult. <laughs> and <laughs> and the other to- family members are going, what happened?
2: <laughs> so often people who make stuff for kids... Can sometimes have like a weirdness to them. Mm. Like you can be like, yeah. oh, why are you so drawn to entertaining children?" <laughs> Which
3: I guess that's. So, so how's your weirdness de- de- detector going well, here, with Larry? I've,
2: I've it, he, it's it's non. I wouldn't mention it's non-existent, and and that's true for all your your colleagues as well. And it, I, even I've I've never Simon Farnaby. Yes. Oh I no mean, no no Simon, Simon Farnaby, Farnaby yeah. on his own could have the weirdness, <laughs> I, but in the context of his friends, I think he seems like yeah. a normal. And I'm like now I think I understand the key to your success only is that you guys entertain children without seeming like the kind of guys who want to entertain children
1: yeah when we started on on horrible histories the sort of directive because I was, I was on that show initially as a writer and you know the directive was always we're just making a sketch show we're not making a show for kids um But also because the scripts that were then going out to people when we started casting were just sketch show scripts and not sort of children's scripts, we were able to get a cast together of people who didn't work in that world. And so it was... It was comedy people coming together to do a sketch show that happened to be on CBBC. What I
3: couldn't believe that is that sense. it's cast, that it's it's like the the way that a boy band
1: is put together.
3: I just assumed, yeah. oh, they've been to Edinburgh, they've found this troupe and they put it on TV. But it was, it was built.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think in part that's probably the secret of it because it had to deal with so much history. It was like we're picking types and we need a short one you need a really handsome one you need a a weird one but the weird thing was almost immediately we got along and started having a real laugh and normally the pattern with tv shows anything where there's an ensemble is either everyone gets along and the show's awful or it's a great show and then you find out that no one liked each other
3: yes and was that original chemistry was was that like Coupling off, or was it like a big swingers party? Because it (laughs) seems sort of externally
1: like you and Ben are a pair and uh, Jim and Matt are a pair. Is that how it was? We always sort of felt like a a, a gang. But as we then started writing together, we started to sort of pair off a little more. Although it's always been quite fluid. You know, I've I've sort of written, I think with the exception of Matt, I've co-written with all of them at some point and sometimes you write on your own. What's what's your problem with Matt? Yeah.
2: You, do you, how do you I all handle the Matt. objectification <laughs> oh. of <laughs> Matt Baton? What does oh, that I mean, feel like is, to you? I think
1: this is the biggest problem that we face as a gang.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, so... No, for the for the record, I have I have no uh, issue with Matt. Um, he's just you know really just a difficult person. <laughs> I think everyone <laughs> finds everyone finds the same frustration there.
2: Larry, you if I'm not mistaken, you're into. Am I right in thinking you collect Star Wars figurines? Is that right? I, don't I think do you say figures, not yeah, figurines. Well, I'm I'm not figurines. I'm not the <laughs> fucking nerd here. Or the, or, or, I'm not the nerd, so I don't know the lingo. You're sorry, your yeah. Star Wars figures, said with respect, yeah. Larry. Do they yeah. come out and do you do you play with them or are they just there for you to ob- observe visually?
1: Um, yeah, I mean they're sort of. I'll say if I can. They're they're. they're um, I don't know if you're seeing them up there. Oh, yeah, on yeah. the shelf along oh. with my puppet from yonderland sure yes yeah sure Um, and down there in a box is my head there's my head in there humphrey's head (laughs) oh (laughs) wow Um, this
3: is so
2: exciting
1: Uh, it's really cool i'll get him out in a bit (laughs) um i haven't got actually i haven't got any of the the very first few that were released, I haven't got. And then the final 17 figures that they made, sort of when interest in the figures was starting to wane, they didn't make very many and they didn't sort of sell as well. And there was a sort of thing, actually, that ended up in a bargain bin of boots. yeah, Like, Warworth's, rather, for, like, a quid. Yes. What I wanted is to go back, like, 30 years with, like, £20 note <laughs> and just go into Woolies and make an absolute killing.
3: A lot a lot of people speculate about what they'd do, if they could travel through time, but that-
1: isn't, isn't,
3: uh... Yeah, sorted it. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no killing Hitler.
1: No, no. I mean, I, th- I would imagine as soon as time travel uh, comes to pass, that will be taken care of. I think a lot of people have got that on their list. And I'm like, "Okay, you guys go and deal with him. I'm going to hit Wooly."
2: This is my final question on this topic, and then you can move on. Yeah. Like, do you, Larry, the 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 home that we are speaking to you from right now, is yeah. is there anyone that you share that home with, or do you live in this home on your own?
1: Uh yes, I share the same with my uh partner of twenty-one years mm-hmm. a poor woman and my five year old son and two very adorable cats. Uh,
3: and what is um what is the five year old's relationship with those Star Wars? Wait, figures, wait, 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 like? no, 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 oh. because we
2: have to move off we do have to move off this as a topic, and I think it is more interesting what the partner's relationship is to the <laughs> to the toys. Shh.
1: She uh, quite rightly has an interest in anything that has Harrison Ford in uh, in his thirties.
2: Oh my god! Um,
1: but otherwise, yeah. But otherwise, is agnostic about Star Wars. And My son, he's a huge Star Wars fan, which is really handy. Is. You know, this is no, 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 no. Jeff
2: always does this as well. These these guys, you do these things. Yeah. you are like, oh, our seven-year-old just so happens to be interested in the Beatles and Doctor Who. Oh, your five-year-old just so hap. Isn't it handy? Look, and you people now, are like look. foisting this stuff on these boys got, and acting like no it's a coincidence. Control.
1: I just left him in a locked room for barely 2 days <laughs> with these with these Star Wars figures and vinyls of Sergeant Peppers and he came out and he loved this stuff. And I've got no control over that.
2: Fine.
3: Watch the deftness with which I bring this back to ghosts. Were the Force ghosts and the rules that govern their appearance in Star Wars did they play any part in the creation and the the rules you followed in the writers
1: room of ghosts? Oh, <laughs> oh no! I didn't. Oh, I'd never thought of that. Maybe it did in some subconscious level. Um, although we would never go back and replace one of the ghosts with another actor,
3: because what is the rule with the ghost? It, it, it seems to be in the TV show. It's the point at which you die. Is yes, th- that's, that's how you
1: become fixed yeah. as a ghost. Yes, it was one of the few rules that we are very clear on. <laughs> we really liked early on the idea that you know Alison would immediately want us go. So what are the rules with this? And the ghosts are still a bit, I don't know. Because <laughs> if, if the ghosts were a thing that existed, you wouldn't like go across and be handed a book going, so this is how it works. Yeah. You would just exist and bit by bit sort of pick up. Oh, I think it must be that.
2: Larry, do you do you believe in, in ghosts in real life?
1: I don't think so. I've, I've always been fascinated by them. And, you know those Osborne Book of Ghosts and Mysteries and things like that. I took that book out of the library so many times that eventually they just gave it to me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sweet. they're just like, oh, my God, you can't keep doing Have it. Have it. <laughs> um, but there were a couple of things I, I did a, a, on them. Um, Danny Robbins' podcast, Uncanny, about the paranormal, it talked about a couple of slightly weird things that happened. Will you
2: please tell, just like, give just like a headline, because I I want to believe, and so if you could just tell me like one slightly weird thing that happened to you, I'd, I'd really appreciate it.
1: There was a weird thing in a hotel toilet, and I got like pulled off my feet. Um by so just a weird. Hang on, hang on, hang
2: on. What did that sensation feel like? You were were you sitting? Were you doing a number two on the potty? No, You got pulled up? What happened?
1: I was I I was stood at the urinal. Uh Thankfully, the business in hand had been dealt with. Uh Uh-huh. But um and it was like I was wearing a rucksack. And it was like you know the little handle on the top of a rucksack? It was like someone Taller than me had grabbed hold of it and just pulled me backwards.
3: And, and, and y- y- this isn't uh, this isn't a humble brag about the power of your prostate. It's not no, like no, a, <laughs> the force of the jet of you. Well, urine. it was
1: back in the day, so um, yeah, no, it was just a bit. It was just a bit weird. And then I sort of went and spoke to the person at reception and said, "Is there anything strange about those toilets?" Which is a weird question. <laughs> and she went, "No," and I then left. And I was only when I was thinking back to it, I was like. That's not the answer you would give <laughs> to that question. You go, with what? what?" Anyway, I don't know. But I mean, the the one thing that that doing ghosts has done, trying to break down the plot logic of how ghosts work, make you really not believe in ghosts. We we based a lot of the things that happened in the show on sort of genuine reports of ghosts, and it's always like, "Oh, they walk through the wall," and then you. Equally, you get a lot of stories of I woke up and sat on the end of the bed and you go, right, so is it sitting on physical things or is it passing through? (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you were developing the show, how solid was that mix
3: of ghosts, caveman, scoutmaster, romantic poet and so on? Or were there some that that were there right until the end of the development stage and then then got bumped? Well,
1: we were quite lucky and we we sort of had to not not force the issue. We shot a kind of half-length pilot in which there were 100 ghosts, and we played all of them. Um, And we realised it was just completely impossible to shoot this. And we just realised it meant that you just never got to care about anyone because each episode would be like a new pilot for a different show. (laughs) And so we then refined it down to the characters we ended up with. So like my plan was when we first started talking about having a caveman character, because I'd always done the bigger makeup parts when we'd done Horrible Histories and, and Yonderland, everyone sort of slowly turned to look at me <laughs> and I was like, Right, I'll do it, but I'm not doing it every day. Um I'll I'll play the headless character and then every now and then we'll do a little gag with the caveman. And as we made the pilot we realized that caveman was the funniest bit, and that the best jokes we got out of the headless guy was when his head wasn't on his body. Right. <laughs> so I I ended up sort of playing to a a special effect and a visual effect. <laughs> um. And yeah, that wasn't that wasn't quite what I signed up for. But. So, so does
3: that mean you you have
1: to get to work earlier than anyone else? Oh yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, I wouldn't use the term bone of contention, <laughs> but um... <laughs> no. Luckily. I've always been really interested in the the behind-the-scenes stuff and effects and prosthetics and makeup. And I think, you know, if I hadn't gone into this side of the industry, I probably would have gone into that.
2: How do you? So, is that sort of is that how you find the caveman character? Is it is it outside in, or did you have some kind of was he sort of just living there within you, waiting to be let out?
1: I think it was a little bit of both, but once you've got all of that sort of costume and makeup on, you do definitely feel a bit different and you hold yourself a bit differently. And each series, there's always sort of one new crew member who gets to, like, week three and goes, he also plays the headless guy. Yes! (laughs) Because, you know, they only ever see you on set. Do you need to take a run-up at the voice or is it just there ready
3: to go at any any given moment? Oh, no! Uh. Oh! Oh,
2: it's like so getting an impressionist. That was so, on, isn't that it? Was so, so but it was so satisfying.
1: <laughs> normally, you can tell when, when we sort of look at rough cuts and things. If you can see the the couple of seconds before they show action, I'm normally going okay, okay. Is that that's like the little the <laughs> little how, tick? It's how you anchor yourself. You in, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, do you ever wonder? I guess it plays to all six of you that at some point you're going to run out of accents. I mean, that was that was sort of a a problem that became a real boon on Horrible Histories because I think it meant that we did stuff that was a bit stranger than we otherwise would have. Like like often the caveman wouldn't sound like caveman. You kind of you'd done all that route one stuff, and so you they'd end up being like very very posh middle management and, and things like that. And I think that became part of the voice of the show was out of a sort of desperation to find another voice and another character that you hadn't done.
2: With this being the final series of ghosts, is it more in the realm of a victory lap or more like real pressure to land it well? I think it's sort of, it's a
1: number of things. You want it to feel like it's going out on a high and you want people to feel satisfied with how you've done it. You want to be surprising them. Uh, you hope that the quality remains. Ideally, that you sort of step up each series. That's what you're always trying to do. But we've just done a uh, a book as well. So that's been like a really healthy methadone to take us slowly down out of that world and sort of exercise those final ideas that we always wanted to do, but we never found a place for in story. Which shows, I guess specifically in
3: comedy, but we can go broader, do you think have done a really good job of a final
1: episode? I mean, the high watermark is probably still the very end of Blackadder, because it did something interesting tonally, because there are those shows, and I think hopefully Ghost is amongst them, where we sort of have those moments where we put a handbrake on the comedy for a bit and just sort of explore some more drama Um, but I think because Blackadder didn't do that it landed so hard when it then did yeah yeah (laughs) very suddenly at the end there.
2: How sure are you or aren't you of what you're going to be working on next?
1: Well there's a couple of things that that, um, I'm already writing so hopefully we're quite sure about those because otherwise it's a real waste of time (laughs) Um, but yeah you know we are very much of a mind to do something else as a gang together you know we're not we're not bored of each other yet. Just to finish, a few quick telly questions. What is the show you've watched more than any other? Oh my, god, I think probably pure repeat viewings. It would have to be 40 Towers. My dad recorded them all onto VHS and it's the only thing I can legitimately say I watched it until the tape split. Wow. And, um, and
3: it's interesting because even though some of the subject matter of the jokes hasn't dated well, the, the rhythm of it as yep. a show, you know, often you'll watch stuff from a certain area and you have to think, OK, well, I have to accept this is going to be slow in a certain way. I just think that the
1: rhythm of Faulty Towers as a show holds up decades later. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is that. The Mrs Richards episode is just up there. In terms of the rhythm, it's like a real proper masterclass. Although, because at the time on a VHS, you know, you had to sort of just set your video for a particular time slot. And so if something had gone on a minute too long at the beginning, the whole half hour was shifted. Yes. And so for about seven years, at the point where the vase is handed over and he goes, and this is your vase, Mrs. Rick. The VHS ended. And so I, until I bought the script book when I was about 13, I had no idea what the last oh. minute was. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of really tantalising.
2: What, um, what do you think we should be watching at the moment?
1: Oh, that's a good one. I'm quite enjoying I've only just started. I'm only about halfway through the first series of um, Yellowstone. Um, I always enjoy Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think it's just interesting.
2: interesting. Yeah, we have a few. a few people have have written to us to say like that. I've never seen a minute of I th- that I show. Think I watched oh, okay. an
3: episode a few years ago and never went back to it.
1: I watched the first episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine, I think, three times. At you know watching it, forgetting about it for six months, then someone else I know saying, "God, it's a really good show." Going back and trying again, and it was on the third time that I sort of kept on and did another one, the third and the fourth and the fifth, and then I was like, oh, okay, this is great."
2: Interestingly, I think, you know, the way you're talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and then there have been a few things I've watched, and like the pilot, especially with comedy, the pilot Mm. is so good. And I think, oh, this is the next thing. And then it kind of like they give it all in that thing to get it sold, and then nothing else is as good.
1: It's very rare that you watch something and you go, this is great from the get-go, and it no way drops off. I remember watching the pilot of Derry Girls, and it being one of those things where it got to the end, and I stood up and just went, "Yes!" Because <laughs> like just making things like that is sort of my job. And you go, "Someone has just done that so well." Yeah. And right. then watched two and three of that first series, and I was like, "Oh, damn them! It's as good." <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> how dare they? How dare she not tell off. Larry Rickard,
2: what a little, little dreamboat, huh?
3: I liked him a lot.
2: Oh yeah, that's a that's a given. And it's my
3: instinct that all of them are that great.
2: Yes, that is the way that they are spoken about in the biz.
3: And where are you in the biz? Are you down the Groucho Club? Where, where are you? Where am I you? in the biz? Where, where are you hearing these things?
2: I hear things. I don't go to the Groucho Club, <laughs> but I hear things about the biz. I'm not saying I'm also in the biz, but I hear people talk. You, you, eavesdropping? Yeah, eavesdropping. I'd love to eavesdrop, but I'm not eavesdropping. No, I'm never like overhearing something, but you just, I don't know. People, people just talk.
3: So when you're with the show business
2: Illuminati <laughs> <laughs> and,
3: and you're decreeing uh, who, who in the biz.
2: Oh, I tried to spread a rumor the other day. I didn't tell you this. You didn't. But anyway, Larry Rickard is like, you know, you just smell pure, pure little dreaminess on him, don't you? You do. A true darling. Oh, there's a stone path. Laid out in front of us. Here we go. Oh, it's the inbox in the middle of the woods. (laughs) So many jewels to behold. Beautiful email everywhere. (laughs) Let's scrub this one off and see what it says. How magical. All right. This first email comes from Rebecca Liu. Rebecca writes, this is specifically for you, Sarah. Thank you, Rebecca, the star of the pod. <laughs> Could we hear your recital of Steve Martin's song from the third season of Only Murders in the Building? You should be aware that it is called Which of the Pickwick Triplets Did It? Oh, and if you can do the entire song, my daughters and I would be even more impressed. Also, why aren't you guys talking about how great the third season is? Thank you, Rebecca, where even to begin with Rebecca's email? I mean, should we just address the, the, the direct question first?
3: Yeah, so I really like the first couple of episodes. Haven't had time to go back to it yet, but part of that might be because a few people have said to me it, it, it went downhill.
2: Yes, yeah, so Rebecca, you, based on the tiniest amount of anecdotal evidence, you seem to be in the minority in thinking that it's a great season of Only Murders in the Building. So that combined with the fact that we get overfaced these days with TV, it's like. You got to be the best of the best of the best, according to us, to recapture our attention.
3: But I genuinely enjoyed that opening pair of episodes with Paul Rudd and um, Meryl Streep, who people all know from um, (laughs) the the end of (laughs) Mamma Mia 2, that sequence. Um, And I am intrigued by a musical number.
2: So I Googled it. We're not allowed to play any of it, right? Because of like right stuff. Yes. So I've never heard of it, Rebecca, until you mentioned it to me. So of course I don't know it. But what she has really correctly sussed out is it, it's the role I was born to play. Now, the question becomes, Rebecca, is it worth my time to like impress you? It, it might be. But that
3: would be a good addendum to the thing I asked you to email in with before. Um, fictional rock bands, best and worst songs, fictional musicals.
2: Best mm. and Worst Songs. God, I can't even think of a fictional musical.
3: Oh, come on. Waiting for Guffman. Nothing, oh, my
2: gosh. Nothing, <laughs> nothing ever <laughs> happens. Nothing ever happens on Mars. Stool
3: And what about Curb Your Enthusiasm, Fatwa the Musical? Oh, my.
2: That's a that's thing that Jeff and I, when we feel low or need a little something... <laughs> We watch The Enemies Forever, performed by F. Marie Abraham and Lynn manuel It's just one of the greatest things on television has ever so happened. so much. The
3: choreography is hilarious. But also what Larry David and Jeff Garland are giving.
2: It is so good. So anyway, never heard of it. But Rebecca, I felt like however it is that I have struck you is correct. You know me, Rebecca. You feel seen. I feel seen and she gets me. And yes, that's my kind of thing.
3: This comes from Claire Z.
2: Oh, I think she might be a Claire Z, but I don't know for sure.
3: Dear FCNNC, just wanted to say, after hearing how bad the writer-stroke editorial decisions were for the COVID storylines on The Morning Show and This Is Us, can we please give out all the accolades to Motherland, who paralleled COVID with a NITS outbreak? Genius. Now, you watch this.
2: Yes, yeah, so, so when Motherland came out... We watched a couple of episodes and I just, I wasn't particularly taken in. I'll tell you
3: what it was. I think we both thought there were some really funny comic performances in it. Uh-huh. But I don't think either of us had much time for the idea of motherhood. Being the sit for a sitcom.
2: Yes, that's exactly it. I would love a show about motherhood, but it has to be a sort of little side dish. So I just went, eh, not like not for me. Subsequently, so many people have talked about how it's incredible. I thought, I, I bet I've gotten that wrong, but I've just never got, gone back and, and looked at it. So Claire sent the link to watch this scene and it was hilarious and it featured Margaret Caborn Smith who is uh, an actor and a writer and I know her a little bit and and she was st- Stunningly hilarious in this playing like the school principal. I, I just I thought, oh, I I I understand. I was wrong. It was one of the funniest things I've ever fucking seen. And then the idea that that was how they addressed COVID, I thought, seemed so smart.
3: If you want to watch it, you can search for "school knit outbreak pandemic motherland." <laughs> I deloused this week.
2: I deloused today. <laughs> We are crawling in bugs.
3: Did you feel flattered that Nitz
2: would like your hair? No. I can feel that way very occasionally about a mosquito. (laughs) I'm like, I'm uncomfortable, but I get that I'm delicious. (laughs) All right. This next email comes from Nicola Lee. Nicola writes, I broke my toe watching Gandhi on TV. Good opener, Nicola. Nicola. I was an impressionable teenager into my causes: CND, animal welfare, Amnesty International, etc. It it got to the stage in the film when the troops just fire. It's so funny to me for some reason. It got to the stage in the film when the troops just fire into the crowd. I I know that's horrible, but she she then goes on to say, "And I was so horrified and upset that I ran out of the room." unfortunately i missed the open door and ran to the door frame and broke my toe that is so funny you've got this incredible do-gooder of a of a teenager and she's so like easily set off that she can't watch this scene and then she tries to flee the room and she breaks a toe oh my god
3: i, I sometimes think you were born in the wrong era because I think really your ideal form of entertainment would have been <laughs> silent movies. Where there's a lot of falling I over, things falling. dropping onto people's heads. I love falling
1: so I know you do. much. I do. <laughs> I think it's so
3: great. <laughs> such people. a tragedy you were born after the talkies. Became the but it, preeminent form uh, of screen entertainment. The thing is, the
2: reason you might have that wrong is that I don't like an inauthentic fall. But like when someone doesn't, you know, the greatest thing I ever. Have a friend of mine once fell me. <laughs>
3: Did what? Did what?
2: She fell downstairs in front of me, and it still. Obviously, she didn't get the hurt. You know, I don't think I've ever seen anything. That funny since it you once in a while when we've been on a holiday you 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 float you were floating in the ocean one time. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff was floating in the ocean. <laughs> like, this by the way, this isn't that funny. So just to prep you, it's not that funny, but. he was floating in the ocean and i was like a little ways away and this woman sort of floated into his personal space in the wide expanse of the ocean she like floated him and the sort of the way that you responded to a stranger being that close to you when your torso was exposed do you remember one time
3: on holiday i walked out onto a balcony not realizing the patio door (laughs) the glass door was closed does that make you sound like such a simpleton. They've never heard you laugh like this at anything. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's broad, broad physical humor. You
1: have walked
2: into a pane of glass. And my brother was there and he laughed so hard. He couldn't stand up straight. There was a couch, and he's a big boy, but he just, like, started to crouch down, and he bit, like, the way, you know how if you're, like, trying to sneak out of a kid's room and not make any noise? He sort of did that physical motion in reverse so he could, like, laugh at you without you knowing you were being laughed at.
3: You've gone very pink.
2: Oh. What a trio. A triptych, if you will. Interestingly, sometimes when I copy these down, and I can tell whether whether they'll do something to me. And Nicola, I did not see this coming.
3: All right. Also this week, Efa thinks we should watch Flora and Son. That's the one with Eve Hewson from Bad Sisters in it.
2: Yes.
3: And Holloway. Thinks we should watch Starstruck. Isabel, inspired by Marnie Dickens' mention of the same, thinks we should watch Buffy. Never seen an episode. Neither
2: have I. And it was almost like like Marnie Dickens sharing her truth made Isabel comfortable sharing her truth. That was a little bit of the vibe of the email I got from Isabel.
3: Jill Cochran thinks we should watch Cuckoo starring Greg Davis. This was
2: after you mentioning him last week. And she's like, if you're a fan, this is the thing.
3: He's a very funny man. Uh, Andrea Martin thinks we should watch great news. And a special shout-out to Fred King, who, number one, misses Mr Inbox. Hello, Freddy and number 2 resubscribed to apple tv specifically so he could hate watch the morning show
2: fred i don't know your story i don't know what you look like i don't know how old you are i don't know your sexual orientation but like i would maybe leave jeff for you like <laughs> i you know i sometimes try and conceive of love like loving someone else or like who else would know me really like and i think a guy who's like bring back the the inbox voice And also is like, oh, I'm going to like spend money to get angry at that TV show. Could actually be my soulmate.
3: It also suggests a certain level of financial solvency.
2: Wait, what if I did a decent proposal with Fred King? (laughs) (laughs) Fred, how much would you pay? Are you up for this? I need to see photos. Maybe I don't.
3: This week, Sarah watched, but I fell asleep and I'm... Desperate to finish it. Mr. In Between on Disney Plus and Daisy Jones and the Six on Amazon Prime Video. I watch Telemarketers, which is an HBO documentary. You can see it on Sky and Now TV here in the UK. And we watch Boiling Point on BBC iPlayer. Larry Rickard likes to watch Blackadder, which you can find on BritBox. Faulty Towers, which isn't available to stream or buy on any digital platform at the moment. Oh. Yellowstone on Paramount Plus, Brooklyn99 on Netflix, and Derry Girls on Channel 4. Well, it's that time of year when you do something deeply strange and try and pass it off as normal.
2: I think it is normal. I'm going for my gourd display. It's October 2nd. I can do it. I haven't gone full gourd yet because the local green grocers, they usually sell these little things where you can get a nice assortment together. And these are like
3: knobbly squashes? People, if
2: you don't know what a gourd is, I am not going to explain it to you. This this is one of the ways that, that Britain is behind. It just is. And there are ways in which America is behind, but I'm just saying... Get on board with the gourd. (laughs) It is so seasonal. It is so fun. Okay? Get on board with the gourds. Listen to me. Get on board. Buy some gourds. You will feel joy every time you look at them. Orange, gold, red, dark green. Those are autumn colors. And so you put those together in the right bowl. (gasps) Oh! I did a corporate event that I hosted like about a uh, uh, around a year ago and um, Le Cruze was one of the sponsors and I kind of came at them and I was like, I want some free Le Cruzé shit because they have this like one casserole dish. It's like 300 and some pounds, but it's the shape and the color of a pumpkin. I was like, I want that in my fucking life they 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 then agreed to send me one. I felt so proud. It was like the fanciest I've ever felt, but um, I'm going to make a nice meal in it soon. Anyway, here we are. We enter autumn. Get on board. Get some gourds. Shoe fly shoot. Bye-bye.
0: Small details are big surfaces.